Uh, now, as you kick off tonight's message, I actually wonder, have you ever found yourself in a standstill moment? Uh, a moment where it just feels like everything comes to a grinding halt, and you're just put in this moment where you have to make a really big decision. Uh, and, and although it may not really be like that, it, it feels like in the moment the entire trajectory of your life depends on, on how well you answer that question. Uh, what job should I take? Where should I work? What degree should I study? Where should I go to uni? Should I go to uni at all? Uh, do I marry her? Do I break up with him? Uh, where should I live? What church should I attend? What do I do with my life? See, as long as you're, you're living on this earth, we will all come to points in our life where we're faced with a moment we have to make a really big choice like that. And, and the way we choose to respond to those questions, it makes a world of difference for our life. Uh, and if you've been doing this Christian thing for more than a few seconds, uh, what you'll hopefully do in those moments is you won't just work through it in your, on your own, you'll actually turn to God and you'll ask him, hey God, what, what would you like me to do here? Uh, what, what is your will for me in this season? How would you have me respond to this question? Have you ever been there, church? You found yourself in one of those moments before? See, the truth of Scripture is that God doesn't abandon us in those moments. Uh, he doesn't leave us adrift trying to work out what we need to do on our own. He actually delights to come into those moments and lead us and guide us through them. The only problem is very rarely does He do that through a nice, loud, audible voice. Uh, it's not too often that we get a burning bush moment or uh, His will written out in our Fruit Loops in the morning. Uh, I've been staring at my bowl of cereal every morning for the, the last couple of years and all my Fruit Loops ever spell out is just, ooh. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, no, ultimately God's actually given us everything we need to make those sort of decisions. Uh, that he's equipped us, he's enabled us, he's, he, he's given us what we need in this life to be able to grapple with those questions. Uh, that 2 Peter 1.3 says his divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and to godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence. That, that God promises us. He's given us everything we need for this life and for godliness. And that, and that includes being able to grapple with these difficult decisions in life. And so that's what I want to talk through tonight. I want to walk through. I want to show you what those tools are. I want to bring them to the surface and, and help equip you to be able to answer those questions in your life, to, to deal with those standstill moments so that when you are faced with the question, God, what do you want me to do? You can actually come to an answer. Does that sound good tonight? Awesome. Uh, so if you've got your Bible with you, we're going to be in Acts chapter 15 tonight, Acts chapter 15. Uh, and where we're coming into things we're actually at this point in the history of the church where they've sort of come to one of those standstill moments. Uh, that, that what's been happening for the last 15 to 20 years, God has been doing absolutely amazing things in the church. Uh, that what started off as a group of 120 nobodies on the day of Pentecost has absolutely exploded into a movement that covers the entire known world at the time. Uh, that there are congregations that meet in, in hundreds, if not thousands of locations as far down as Egypt and Ethiopia and, and all the way up to modern day Turkey. 
uh, that the church has established leadership structures. There's uh, the 12 apostles sitting on the top. You've got uh, people like um, Paul and uh, Barnabas and James dealing with entire regions like Greece and Judea. Uh, there are local elders that have been appointed in the different cities that the church has found itself in. Uh, and, and things like regular church services, food distribution programs, outreaches, mission trips, they are all happening on, on a pretty regular basis at this point. Uh, so the thing that Jesus said he would establish, the church, uh, and the gates of hell would not prevail against it, well, where we're jumping into things, it is well and truly established. Uh, but, but as I said, we're, we're at this point where the church now has to make a decision. That they have to deal with an issue and, and how they choose to respond to it is going to determine the trajectory of the church moving forward. Uh, see, see, what has happened is uh, essentially we've got to a point where there are two really distinct groups that are part of this body of Christ. Uh, we've got the, the Gentiles on one hand and the Jews on the, others, on the other. And look, culturally, religiously, politically, philosophically, these two groups, they don't mesh at all. Uh, that for the last 4,000 years, the Jews have defined themselves as a people who live according to a really specific set of rules and standards that God has given them. Uh, they have dietary restrictions that determine what they can and can't eat, Sabbath rules that dictate how their week plays out in a really practical way, uh, ceremonial laws, judicial laws, rules about marriage and divorce. Uh, they even have rules about circumcision. Uh, which Sandy spent an entire sermon on last week, and uh, sadly that sermon did not get recorded, and I'm 99% sure that's because he made too many circumcision jokes, so we'll just uh, tick that off as, as a positive. Uh, but, but the Jews have all these rules, all these standards that they have to live by, and, and the Gentiles, they don't. Uh, they, they come from a background that's really uh, polytheistic, uh, where you can worship whatever God you want, in whatever style suits you best, uh, where you can pick from a smorgasbord of different philosophical uh, frameworks that determine how you view your life and your body, your mind, your soul, your spirit, all that good stuff. Um, it, it was a place where sex and nudity were just commonplace and just out in the open for everyone to see, uh, and where food you bought in a market would regularly have been sacrificed to idols before you got it. That it's just a completely different background. Uh, and look, that in and of itself wouldn't necessarily be an issue, right? The, the gospel applies to everyone. It doesn't matter what your background is. The only problem is that the Jews look at that. And because of what they believe, because of the, their upbringing, they say, no, we can't actually interact with these Gentiles. Uh, we, we can't have a meal with them. We can't have a conversation with them. We can't go into the house. We cannot do church with them, let alone life with them. Uh, and, and so... What has happened is the church leaders, they become aware of this issue. Uh, and as Sandy walked through last week, they decide we're going to have a, a massive sort of church council. It later becomes known as the Council of Jerusalem. And, and all the, the big wigs from the, the body of Christ, they head into Jerusalem and they sit down at a table. And they say, okay, let's work out what we're going to do about this issue. Uh, and importantly for us tonight, they're not just trying to work out what like the best move is in the situation. Uh, it's not like they're trying to work out what the best PR position to take would be or what, what's going to look good in the media. They're actually trying to discern what the will of God is for the church. That they want to know what God wants them to do in this situation, and that's what they're trying to bring to the surface. Uh, and what we're going to see is by the time we get to the end of these verses, 
um, they're going to get up and they're going to say, what we have decided, it is good to us. It's something we agree with, but it's also good to God. In other words, it's, it's actually something they believe is the will of God for the church moving forward. All right, so Acts chapter 15, we'll be kicking off at verse 19. Uh, we're coming in right at the end of this discussion, so everyone's had a chance to speak. People have gotten up, they've said their piece, they've quoted scripture, and at the end of it, the apostle Peter, he, he gets up and this is what he says. Therefore, my judgment is that we should not trouble those of the Gentiles who turn to God. Okay, so let me just stop there. Uh, the word that Peter uses there for judgment uh, it's this Greek word, krino, and it means to judge, to decide, to think upon, to make a determination of right and wrong. In other words, what Peter is saying in this moment is that um, this decision they've come to um, and, and this decision they believe is the will of God, they, they've arrived at it using their own judgment, that they've actually thought about it. Uh, that the first tool available to us when it comes to discerning the will of God, it's using our own judgment. It's using our, our logical um, capacity that God has given us. See, th there's this old Irish proverb, right? Uh, that for every mile of road, there are two miles of ditches. So for every way there is of doing something correctly, there are two extremes, two errors that you can fall into. Uh, and when it comes to discerning the will of God, one of those errors, one of those extremes is you just wait around until you know everything until you've heard an audible voice of God and you know exactly how the situation is going to play out and you wait until you've got every piece of information in your book before you make a decision. Uh, and I'll come back to, what, to that error towards the end of the message, but uh, the second mistake we can make is we just jump to things without thinking about it at all. That we don't process the situation, we don't wait to hear what the will of God is. Uh, and honestly, when it comes to making decisions, God calls us to do our due diligence. He calls us to think and process and logically work through what we should do in a given situation. That leaping out thoughtlessly and then turning back to God angrily and blaming him when things don't go our way, that's not faith. It's foolishness. That God has given us a brain for a reason and he actually wants us to use it. All right, so let me put some scripture to this. Um, 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 19. Do not quench the spirit. Do not despise prophecies, but test everything. So think about everything, process through everything. And once you have done that, hold fast to what is good. Uh, Romans 12, verse 2. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that by testing, so by thinking about, by processing through it, you may discern what the will of God is, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Uh, Ephesians 5, 7 to 10. Therefore, do not become partners with the world. For at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Therefore, walk as children of the light and try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. That, that God actually turns to us and he says, I want you to think about this. I want you to try to work out what is my will, what is good in my sight. Uh, in fact, the entire book of Proverbs, it's dedicated to just that issue. That it's all about how you gain understanding, how you gain wisdom, and how you deal with those difficult situations. And so that's what's happening here. This council, they've come together, they've sat down, and they've had a discussion. They've logically worked through things, they've had debate, um, and that's how they've come to their decision. 
And so what, what I want to quickly do is just pull um, to the forefront two ways they go about thinking about this problem. Uh, so firstly, they look back. Uh, they stop and they say, okay, let's see what God has been doing. Let's see the fact that he's been moving in the lives of the Gentiles, that the Holy Spirit fell out upon them, that a whole bunch of people came to faith. Let's look back and use that as a decision-making tool. And then after that, they look forward. They say, okay, if we do decision X, how is that going to affect things? If we do decision Y, how is that going to result in a different outcome? Uh, so, So first one, looking back. If you are trying to make a decision, a really, really good place to start is you just stop, And you ask the question, what has God been doing in your life? Does the decision resonate with the experiences that God has given you? Uh, So if you look at your life and you say, well, where has God been blessing me? Uh, Where has there been supernatural provision? Uh, Where do I have giftings? Where do I have talents? What is it that God has actually been moving through in my life? And based on those experiences, what is the logical next step? Uh, The the best illustration I've ever heard of this, um, it's actually a hunting analogy. So I apologize if that's not up your alley. Um, You can be here and be a vegan. We love you. You leave more meat for the rest of us. Uh, But if you're hunting, whether using a bow and arrow or a gun, and you shoot a deer, uh, very rarely does that deer just fall over. Uh, Most of the time, it'll bolt into the bush and you have to go and chase it. And so what hunters do uh, is they have some fluorescent tape, or if you don't have the fancy stuff, you use toilet paper, Uh, And essentially, you follow the the trajectory of that deer. And every time you see some sort of marker of where that deer has been, uh, maybe that's a a hoof print in the mud or a broken branch or a spot of blood on a leaf, you you mark that off. So you put your tape against that. And you keep on doing this. You follow along the path, marking off the, the signposts as you see them. And when you get to a point where you don't know where the deer has gone moving forward and there's no sign ahead of you, what they do is they turn around and they, they mark off all the, the signposts that they've put their little pieces of tape on. And they use that trajectory to, to work out where the deer is going moving forward. And, and see, there's nothing spiritual about that. It's not like being a, like a led by the Holy Spirit thing. It's just a logical process. And so when you're making decisions, what you need to do is you look back and you mark off all those points in your life where you're like, that was clearly God. There's no way that was me. That, that was the Holy Spirit moving. That, that was a supernatural touch of God in my life. And, and you see all the fingerprints of God in your life and you use it to project forward and work out where he's moving next. Um, all right, so, so the other thing the, uh, the Council of Jerusalem do is they look forward. So again, they, they try and work out what the logical result of their decisions are gonna be. Uh, and, and what they say in this verse is that... Um, the wrong decision here could actually hinder Gentiles coming to the faith, and that's not what they want to do. And so we need to ask ourselves, well, if I go down this path, will that make me a better husband? Will it make me a better wife? Will it make me um, a better son, a better daughter? Will it make me um, a better parent, a better Christian? Uh, What are the financial ramifications of this decision? How will it impact the lives of people I care about? Will it give me more time or less time with my family? Will I be honoring God more or less with my life? That that we actually just play out the game and and see how things are going to play out. I mean, maybe you feel like God is, is calling you to change jobs. And you're at this moment where you're trying to decide where you need to go. Well, you should pray about it. You should listen to God. You should um, um, work through that. But you also need to ask, okay, well, how am I going to pay the bills? Uh, 
where am I going to live? Is this going to result in me having less time with my family? Like, what is the situation? How is it going to be playing out? Uh, you, you may be in a decision where you're trying to work out whether or not you should marry someone. And again, you should go to God with that. You should work it through with him. But you also need to ask really practical questions. You need to do your due diligence. Uh, if you marry that person, how are they going to raise your kids? If you marry that person, how are they going to treat you? Are they going to love you and support you and care for you in the way the Bible says they should? Are you going to do the same towards them that you play out the game and you work out where things are going to land? But church, the first step in discerning the will of God is we need to do our homework. We need to use our judgment and we need to actually think about things. All right, so verse 19. Therefore, my judgment is we should not trouble those of the Gentiles who turn to God, but we should write to them to abstain from the things polluted by idols and from sexual immorality and from what has been strangled and from blood. Uh, for from ancient generations, Moses has in every city those who proclaim him, for he is read every Sabbath in the synagogues. All right, so, so what Peter's doing here is he's listing off these, um, these four practices that he really thinks the Gentiles should probably stop engaging in. Uh, and those are uh, abstaining from things polluted by idols, so not eating food that's been sacrificed to false gods, um, abstaining from sexual immorality. The Greek word there is porneia. It's where we get the word pornography from. Uh, it, it's sort of the, the junk drawer of sexual sin, so everything outside of God's plan for sex. Um, and then eating things that have been strangled and drinking blood. Uh, and while that sound, may sound like a bit of a weird list to give the Gentiles, uh, all four of those things actually come straight from Scripture. Uh, in fact, and I'm sure you all know this because you've been reading Leviticus in your spare time, uh, it's Leviticus 17 and 18, uh, that all four of those things occur in that order in those two chapters. Uh, and that's important for us because when it comes to discerning the will of God, the second tool that is available to us is that we need to seek scripture. Uh, that what we have to do is, is we take our situation, we take our problem, we take our question, and we go to the Bible and we ask, what does the whole counsel of God say in relation to this problem? And I am very careful that to say the whole counsel of God, you do not get to find one verse that supports your argument and go with that. You need uh, to, to see what the whole of scripture says about it. And, and look, I can't make you love a thing right? Like I can get up here and I can, I can do an amazing sermon. I can say words at you, but I can't really change your affections. But what my heart and prayer every single week is, is, is that you guys would come to love this book, that, that you would dwell in a daily, you would meditate it on a day and night. It would be a light to your feet and a lamp to your path, that, that you would submerse yourselves in the depths of scripture and all that it has to say for you. I mean, do you actually realize how like mind-bogglingly crazy it is that we have this book? That, that it is written over thousands of years by dozens of different authors in, in languages that no one speaks today anymore, and, and yet somehow we have it in, in books and on our phones, and it's in a language we can speak, and, and God actually promises us, if we open this book up and we read it, that he will speak to us through it. I mean, and that just, that just should blow our minds, right? I mean, there, there are instructions in this book about how to live well, what you do with money, how to approach work, how, how to approach rest, how to deal with relationships. Uh, there are literally step-by-step -step guides in this book as to how to deal with conflict resolution, um, practical instructions on how to raise your kids, uh, 
instructions on how to get through difficult seasons and dark nights of the soul. Uh, It's full of promises that are just for you, like promises of peace, promises of provision, promises of forgiveness, um, that that God will be with you and he will not abandon you, that that God speaks through this book, church. And, And honestly, if you actually want to know the will of God in your life, you need to be soaking yourself in this book. That Billy Graham once said, if you are ignorant of God's word, then you will always remain ignorant of God's will. But if you let it, this book will speak to you. God will speak into your situation. He'll speak into your question. He will bring out the things that you need to know to deal with the problems you're going through. But I do want to give a little word of warning with that. See, what we need to understand is that God's ways are not our ways. And so there are times that this book will tell you to do things and they'll be difficult. You'll be offended by them. Uh, and, and honestly, you won't always agree with what God tells you to do. I mean, don't hear me wrong. If you do life the way that scripture says you should do life, it will just go better for you, right? Right? Uh, if the only person you ever have sex with is your wife within the confines of the covenant of marriage, things go better. Uh, If you live a life of thankfulness and gratitude like the Bible says to do, things will go better. Uh, If you deal with money the way the Bible says to, it it goes better for you. But can we just all agree that it's really easy to follow the instructions of Scripture when we're already doing what it says to do? It's a lot harder when things go the other way. Uh, it's, it's hard to forgive your enemies when they actually wrong you and you have to deal with that. Um, it, it's hard to tithe when you've got bills coming in, you don't know how you're going to make ends meet, but the Bible says you have to anyway. That, that, that it's hard to follow these instructions sometimes. But if you actually stop and think about it, there almost have to be things in this book that you disagree with. Because what does it say about our God if the only things that that we think are applicable to our life from Scripture are the things we already agree with? If the only parts of the Bible that that we want to follow are the ones we're already doing, does that not mean we we think we know more than God? That that we're smarter than God, we're more wise than God, that um, God is sort of outdated and he doesn't know what he's talking about anymore? So look, honestly, there are things in this book that'll offend you. They'll offend the world. Uh, there are things that if you go out into public and you say what scripture says, you'll, you'll be canceled. And in parts of like Australia, you can go to jail for saying some of the stuff that's in this book. But, but either it is what we say it is. It is the word of God speaking to our life and it is truth or else it's a waste and we might as well throw the whole thing away. All right, so random side point to the side. Uh, verse 22. Then it seemed good to the apostles and the elders with the whole church to choose men from among them and send them to Antioch with Paul and Barnabas. Okay, so so what happens here is the church decides we're going to send these two men to Antioch. They're going to explain this edict that we think that Gentiles should abstain from certain things, but they're free to do everything else. Uh, And they've come to that decision, again, based on their own judgment so far, based on Scripture, And now, based on the fact that it seemed good to the church leadership and it seemed good to the church body. 
that the third tool for discerning the will of God is we need to surround ourselves with godly counsel. See, what should happen is you should find yourself in a position where you need to make a decision, right? And you should pray about it, you should think about it, you should seek scripture. And then what you need to do, not not what you should do, what you need to do, is you go to, to godly men and women in your life and you just explain the situation to them. You say, this is what I'm grappling with. This is where I think God is, is leading me. This is what I think scripture says to me. What do you think about it? Uh, and then just speaking to everyone like my age and below, what we then need to do in that moment is stop, say nothing, and let them actually speak into our lives and listen to the wisdom they have for us. That the church, we're not actually supposed to do this walk with Jesus in isolation that there are no lone wolf Christians, that nowhere in Scripture do you get a picture of someone following after Jesus and doing it by themselves. I mean, King Solomon, the, the wisest man ever to walk the face of the earth except for Jesus himself, he talks a lot in the Proverbs about seeking wisdom from other people. Uh, I'll give you five examples. Proverbs 1.5, let the wise hear and increase in learning. Let the one who understands obtain guidance. Proverbs 12, 15, the way of a fool is right in his own eyes, but a wise man listens to advice. Proverbs 13, 10, uh, where there is strife, there is pride, but wisdom is found in those who take advice. Proverbs 15, 22, without counsel plans fail, but with many advisors they succeed. Proverbs 19, 20, listen to advice and accept instruction that you may gain wisdom in the future. That church, godly counsel, godly friends, they just have this ability to speak into your problem with a perspective and an understanding that, that you don't have. That they can, um, that they can speak with an understanding and experience of, of things that you just haven't walked through. Uh, that they can give you advice without, without having the same uh, skin in the game and sort of commitment to one particular outcome that you do that other people can actually look into your life and they can say, hey, I see where God is moving. I see what God is doing in your life and this is where I think he is taking you. And honestly, it's why you need to be in a small group. And I know I keep hammering this again and again. I feel like I've brought this up in every sermon I've preached for the last month. But honestly, in this me-centered, content-driven, consumeristic world we live in, we are really bad at getting face-to-face -face with people taking the mask off and just doing this life one-on-one. -on -one. I mean, honestly, you, you could not come to church on a Sunday, right? And you could not go to a small group. And you could probably find yourself a better worship experience uh, and, and better teaching online than you could right here. Um, like, like I, I love our worship team. I think they do an amazing job. But uh, there are churches with much, much higher budgets for worship. And they produce really good songs that are really biblical and they sound amazing. And, and you could just listen to those on Spotify and, and you could worship God with that. Um, the, the teaching, like, I, I am not that good. <laughs> but, and, and I listen to like dozens of, of, of pastors every week and, and they, they speak amazing truth and they speak from scripture and, and I listen to them because they speak way better than me. So you could do that. You could listen to Spotify and you could listen to podcasts, but... There is something that happens here on a Sunday. There's something that happens in your small group when you're face-to-face when you're -face with real people that you can't emulate by going online. 
that it's a non-downloadable experience and you need to be in that sort of space. You need to be in a space where you can just sit in front of someone and just say, hey, I'm struggling with this in my life. What do you think I should do? Or you can be vulnerable and you can be real and you can let people speak into your life. And look, you don't need to do that with everyone. And honestly, if your small group isn't working for you, find a different small group. It doesn't matter. But you need some people in your life that you can have that sort of interaction with. Um, and look, just another little word of warning here because apparently I need to caveat everything this week. Um, this step that's on the board, it's surround yourself with godly counsel. Not let everyone speak into your life. Uh, there are people you interact with on a daily basis that they should not actually be speaking into decision-making at all. Uh, that you need to be careful about who you give that sort of exposure to your choices in your life. Uh, and I'm not saying you can't have a, a non-Christian friend who you're really close with and they get to help you make decisions. Uh, but Proverbs 13.20 says, Walk with the wise and become wise, but a companion of fools suffers harm. So if there are people that are currently speaking advice into your life and the sort of lifestyle they are leading is not one you want to emulate, you should stop taking their advice full stop. Uh, that, that if you show me your five closest friends, I will show you your future in 10 years' time. And that church, we don't drift towards holiness. We, we don't drift towards sanctification. We don't drift towards God. We drift towards what's around us. And, and so if you do life the way the world says to do life, the way your colleagues at work say to do things, the way your classmates at uni and school say to do things, you will get the exact same results as the rest of the world. And look, I look at the rest of the world and what is normal right now is overweight, anxious, depressed, divorced, and medicated. So you just need to be careful who you are letting speak into your life. All right, verse 22. And so they sent Judas called Barsabbas and Silas, leading men among the brothers, with the following letter. All right, so, so what we're about to get you is like an actual outline of the letter. So it's the, uh, the transcript of the letter that is being sent out. And, and this is like a, a big letter, right? Uh, don't view this as like a, an ordinary memo. Uh, Clement of Alexandria, living at the end of the second century, referred to this following paragraph as the universal epistle of all the apostles. So this is it, this is the letter. The brothers, both the apostles and the elders, to the brothers who are of the Gentiles in Antioch and Syria and Sicilia, greetings. Since we have heard that some persons have gone out from us and troubled you with words, unsettling your minds, although we gave them no instructions to do so, it has seemed good to us having come to one accord. So again, the result of their decision-making here, it's not um, division, it's unity. Uh, we've come to one accord to choose men and to send them to you with our beloved Barnabas and Paul men who have risked their lives for the sake of our Lord Jesus Christ. We have therefore sent Judas and Silas, who themselves will tell you the same things by word of mouth. Um, okay, so they're sending this letter out that they've got instructions to, to say certain things. And um, these two men delivering the letter, um, Judas and Silas, they would have gotten to their locations and they would have read that letter aloud. Uh, and they would have actually been the one to answer any questions that people would have had afterwards as well. All right, so verse 28, and this verse here is sort of the, the cornerstone of this entire section. For it has seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us. 
All right, so, so let's just be honest. That's actually what we want to know about, right? That when it comes to discerning the will of God, where we sort of know that we should seek the Bible, that we should think about things a little bit, that we should um, surround ourselves with uh, godly men and women, and we should pray about things. Well, we know that. And most of what I've said so far is just sort of reminding you of that fact. But what you actually want to hear from me tonight is, uh, this is how you know that God is confirming your decision. This is how you know that what you're doing is, is within the will of God, that we all want to be able to say, it seemed good to the Holy Spirit and it seemed good to me. And what that really means is, honestly, we all just want a burning bush moment. Yeah? Um, what's a modern day equivalent? Uh, you're driving down the motorway and you see like a car burning on the side of the road and it's burning, but it's not being consumed. So you pull over and you're watching it because that's what you do when you see something on fire, you just watch it. Um, and, and then like the car radio turns on through the crackling of the flames and you hear the voice of God saying to you, Liam, this is my will. <laughs> that's what we want, right? Like, like show of hands, who wants God to speak to them like that? Yeah, awesome. Uh, <laughs> and the problem is very rarely... Are we going to get that sort of experience? Uh, and don't get me wrong, God does speak. Uh, God is a God who speaks. That You cannot read through Scripture, you cannot go through this life as a Christian without uh, seeing that God actually wants to, to speak into our situations, He wants to speak into our problems, He wants to guide us and lead us and show uh, us the ways we should go. It's just that more often than not, God does not speak in His outside voice. That He speaks in a still quiet whisper. And so what that means is we actually have to have ears to hear what he's saying. Uh, we actually need to live lives that are quiet enough that when God does speak, we can actually discern what he's saying. Uh, so look, these are some of the ways that we see God speaks through scripture. Uh, God speaks through the Bible. Uh, that again, there are times where, where you pick up this book and, and it just comes alive, right? Uh, like, like you're reading it and all of a sudden you're not reading a, a letter to the ancient Roman church 2,000 years ago. It is like God is just speaking to your exact situation, talking into your exact problems and the verse just comes alive like nothing else can. Uh, God speaks through people. Uh, that someone can have a prophetic word over your life and um, it doesn't have to be like a preacher here on a Sunday, but a big reason we get up week in and week out and, and speak to you guys is because we believe somehow between the, the words leaving our mouth and being received in your heart, like the Holy Spirit just does something where it, it just gets exactly where it needs to go. Uh, God speaks through circumstances that uh, even though it may not look like it at the moment, he can open doors and close doors. He can create opportunities and remove them. And God can teach you and speak to you through those. Uh, God speaks through dreams and visions. And then sometimes God just skips everything else and he speaks straight to our heart. And again, that doesn't have to be an audible uh, voice, but I don't know, sometimes you just have this moment where you get like a peace that doesn't make any sense or you just get a feeling in your heart or um, an image in your mind or, or something you've forgotten about just comes to your memory or you get convicted of sin or you get convicted about some characteristic of God and um, it's just like God is speaking directly to your soul. And see, all of those things, all those, those still small voices that God uses to speak to us, they are the work of the Holy Spirit that they are what seemed good to the Holy Spirit in this verse. Uh, that John 16 says, when the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into the truth. That he will not speak of his own authority, but whatever he hears, 
Um, He will speak and he will declare to you the things that are to come. That the Spirit will glorify me, being Jesus, uh, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. See, honestly, in the verse where it says it seems good to the Holy Spirit, do you know what I actually think is happening in that moment? I think what's happened is this council of Jerusalem, they've done their due diligence. So they went away and they thought about things. They debated, they had conversations. They, they covered the situation in prayer. Uh, they, they surrounded themselves with godly counsel. They, they sought scripture. And then they just sort of, they put the ball in God's court. They said, God, okay, this is what we've dealt with. How do you want us to respond? I don't think there was like a boom and a voice from heaven. I don't think the clouds opened up and God spoke down to them. And if that did happen, Luke, the author of Acts, really should have included that in the scripture. I think they just, they did the work and then they trusted God and they, I don't know how God did that. Maybe it was like a still small voice. Maybe it was an image in the head. Maybe he just spoke to them through scripture. But somehow, God confirmed in their hearts what was happening was according to his will. See, church, you can pray until you can't speak anymore. You can memorize every verse in the Bible that has to do with your particular problem. You can get every godly man and woman in the church like giving you guidance and praying for the outcome. But but ultimately, if you want to know the will of God in your life, You have to get to a point where where you take that decision and with open hands, you you just give it over to God. And you trust that God loves you and he cares for you and and however he wants to respond to that situation, he will do that as he sees fit. And look, honestly, that is a lot harder than hearing an audible voice of God. It's a lot more difficult than having God's will be spilt out to you in, his cheer- in your Cheerios. It means there are going to be times in your life where, honestly, you don't have a, a peace about a decision you're making. And don't get me wrong, God can give you peace, supernatural peace about things. But when I look back at the story of my life, uh, when I look at all the, the big decisions I made, big moments, and the, the ones that I'm really clear that that was God calling me to do that. You know, that, that was a moment where it was good to me and it was good to the Holy Spirit. Um, in most of those moments, I had absolutely no peace about them at all. In fact, most of the time I felt like throwing up. Um, to give you some examples, putting my hands, my hand up to, to run the youth ministry here as a volunteer, despite the fact that I'd never been to youth as a kid. Um, leaving my job and stepping into ministry. Um, I'd say asking my wife to marry me, but I was reminded this week by her that I had lots of peace about that, so I won't go there. Um, but, but those decisions, like, I was really confident God was calling me into that thing. But he didn't give me any peace about it at all. And if you need any more evidence, just look to the cross. Like, Jesus was perfectly within the will of God, And yet the night before he goes to the cross, he's on his knees in the gardens of Gethsemane, sweating drops of blood. Uh, It's difficult as well because it also means we don't get the full picture, right? That that if God is going to download to you his entire will and is going to speak with an audible voice, then that makes everything really clear. But when you're listening to a still small voice, often that means you just get the next step, right? You just get an inkling of what God is calling you to do. 
I mean, we love to quote verses like Jeremiah 29, 11, right? For I know the plans I have for you, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. But often I think we read over that verse way too quickly because you know what it says? God is saying, I know the plans that I have for you. Not you know the plans that I have for you. And see, often, all the time, it's up to God as to whether or not he gives us those plans or not. All right, so um, the, the band came up as, as we finish with this last little section. Um, verse 28. For it seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us to lay on you no greater burden than these, that you should abstain from what has been sacrificed to idols. You should abstain from blood and from what has been strangled, from sexual immorality. Uh, if, you keep you, if you keep yourselves from these, you will do well. Farewell. So that, that's the end of the letter. And verse 30. And when they were sent off, they went down to Antioch. And having gathered the congregation together, they delivered the letter. And when they had read it, they rejoiced because of its encouragement. See, church, this Council of Jerusalem, that's sort of the textbook example of how you discern the will of God. They sort of did everything right. They, um, they sought scripture, they used their own judgment, they surrounded themselves with godly counsel, uh, they covered the decision in prayer, and ultimately they put the decision into God's hand. But honestly, all of that would mean nothing if they then didn't go about doing something about it. That the thing about discerning the will of God is that eventually you have to get up from your prayers. You have to get up from your processing and you have to get on with the business of doing what God has actually called you to do. And honestly, I think this is an area we, we can fall short of quite often in the Christian walk, especially in the West and like in an area like Kenmore. Because what can happen is um, we come to the decision with God, we pray about it, we seek scripture, we do all the right stuff. Then we pray and we wait. We pray and we wait and we pray and we read some more scripture and we, we pray and we get some more counsel and we, we pray and we wait and, and we just get stuck in this loop of waiting and waiting and waiting and we, we never actually get on with the business of doing what God has called us to do. In fact, there's this verse in the book of Exodus where the Israelites, they are standing on the, the banks of the Red Sea and Pharaoh's chariots are coming crashing down the hill and God's people are, are on their knees praying to God. And you know what God turns to Moses and says? Moses, why do you come to me? Tell the people of Israel to go forward. It's like God is saying, look, I appreciate the fact that you're praying. I appreciate the fact that you're trying to seek out my will, but you need to get off your knees and you need to do something about it. You need to step forward into what I have called you to do. And what that meant for the Israelites is, is walking into a Red Sea that had yet to be parted. That was God's will for them. That he was saying, will you get off your knees and will you do what I have called you to do? See, church, sometimes we're trying to discern the will of God and we end up in this place where what we really need to do is we pray, we guess, and we go. That we look at what God has given us, we look at things mentally and we process through them, we look at what Scripture says and we're like, okay, I'm not perfectly certain if God has told me to do this or not. I think it's in His will. I'm just going to step out in faith anyway. 
I'm going to do what I think he has called me to do. And look, that means sometimes you might get things a little bit wrong. It means sometimes you, you, you may have slightly misinterpreted what God is calling you to do. You may have uh, been off the mark by just a little bit. But, but honestly, that is fine. That it is better for you to have sought the will of God and then done something about it than it is to have done nothing at all. That it is easier for God to redirect a moving object than it is for him to direct a stationary one. And so sometimes you have to guess. Sometimes you say, God, I think this is you. Will you correct me if I'm wrong? And honestly, God has given you permission to do that. That you are a co-heir with Christ. You're a son and daughter of God. You're an ambassador of the kingdom of heaven. And God has given you permission to step out according to what you think his will is. And honestly, you do not have to be afraid of mucking it up completely. Because if you go through that process, if you use the tools that God has given us, I don't think you can get it that wrong. I don't think you can be that far off the mark if you've sought scripture and you've got people praying about it and you've used your brain to process through it. Um, and look, worst case, God sends a whale and the whale swallows you up and he spits you out at the right beach. But church, sometimes we pray, we guess, and we go, and, and we just trust that God still holds the whole world in his hands and he can work it out if we get it wrong. So look, as we close off tonight, I don't know what your big decision is. I don't know what it is you're grappling through with right now. I don't know what your standstill moment is. Maybe it is where you need to be working or where you need to be living. Maybe uh, it's to do with relationships or, or any number of things. And look, I don't have the answer for you. I can't tell you what you need to do, but... God knows the plans He has for you. God knows the steps He has laid up before you. More importantly, God actually cares. And, and He wants to lead you in that path. So, so Lord, I, I just thank You that You're a God who is so much bigger than our problems. That You're a God who, who is so sovereign, so in control of the, the things of this world that, that, that You know exactly how things are going to play out. And Lord, I just pray you would guide us. Lord, that where we are lacking in wisdom, we would come to you and ask for more. Lord, that you would just bless us with wisdom and understanding that we might be able to make the right choices in the right seasons. Lord, I pray you would put in us just a desire and a heart and a hunger for your word that we just can't quench that we would wake up every morning and the idea of not seeking out your will in Scripture before we do anything else would be so foreign to us that we just come and we dive into your word day after day after day. And Lord, I just pray that you would surround us with godly counsel. That, that where the, the, the word, the, the word and, and the, the condemnation of the enemy has spoken lies into our life, and try to direct us in the wrong course, you would just come and you'd correct that. That you would put people in our lives that they'd actually be able to give us that wisdom, give us that guidance. And Father, that you would give us enough, enough humility and, and just humbleness to accept that guidance. 
And, and Lord, I just pray that you would give us enough grace that we would come to you with whatever our decision is and say, Lord, this is yours. We want to do your will. We want to go where you say go. We want to do what you say do. So I just pray for a blessing over every heart here. That you would guide us, you would lead us, you would show us the paths, you would have us walk. And you would give us the grace to hear your voice in the world. In your name we pray. Amen.